Welcome to the Wiggly Sofa. It's a new sofa this week that looks old. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers and I'm joined by... Richard from Wiggly Wigglers and Farmer Phil. And we've got new seats. And the worst thing of all is that Michael, our producer, is now towering over us. And it looks like he's come down the chimney <laughs> like Father Christmas and he's sat watching us. It is. It's slightly unnerving. Michael's in front of us today instead of behind us. Yeah. Should we say rude words to him or put our fingers up <laughs> like this? It's the first time that we've been back on the sofa for about a hundred years. Yeah, it seems like a hundred years, doesn't it? It does. Mm. And you're brown and you're white, Farmer Phil. And you two have burnt a hole in the ozone layer to die for, no doubt. Yeah, mm. quite possibly. Yeah. We've got so much on this week's show. We've got real bad news from the farm, which Richard won't have heard about no, yet. No. We've got good news from the farm. We've got the story of Heather in the podcasting capital... Ontario, LA, California for a moment in time, meeting up with a fan. We've got the story of Richard on The Weakest Link, which I have yet to see. We're going to hear about Richard in the jungle. <laughs> but because I've been to the podcasting conference, I've picked up a few tips, right. a few official tips about how your podcast should be. So here is my first tip. We must tell you, dear listener, how to contact us. So it's Plus four four one nine eight one five hundred nine three zero, and we would love your comment. You can go to our blog, which is now updated by Karen every day, which is wigglywigglers.blogspot.com, and even better, I've got my own now, which is heathergorringe.com. And the most exciting thing that we're involved in in social media that Richard won't have heard about is we're making the catalogue rich this time with other people's comments. Oh, okay. All over the world, they're sending their stuff in with yeah. blogs and podcasts and all sorts of things to write the catalogue. Oh. So you're out of a job. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's something like going on holiday again. No. Oh. <laughs> so if you've got anything that you want to add to our catalogue, then you must submit it by the 4th of December. So bear in mind this is Monday and this is now the 3rd. You better be quick. No, you can have a small extension. Michael says, for special podcast listeners, because we haven't broadcast to you before this date, that you've got till the 10th. But you better be quick and send it to sam at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Your subject matter can be anything to do with your wildlife garden or the farmer in you. Is there a farmer in you that's producing some salad leaves in your window box? Is there a farmer in you that thinks bumblebees are important? Whatever it is, then you must send it in with a photo of you or you and your garden to san at wigglywigglers.co.uk and we will use the best of them in the catalogue. Now, I can't say that you're going to receive anything for it, but trust me, something good will happen. There'll be a big thank you, but of course I can't promise you anything because that would be bribery. We wouldn't want that, would we? Not at all. Rich, tell me of your adventures. <laughs> Where would you like me to begin? I would like you to begin in Gatport, Airwick. Gatport, Airwick, okay. Well, I, you know, that was funny because I was, I was telling you about this earlier on, but... 
friends of mine, James and I went away fishing really, that was, that was the idea, you know, to go fishing to Guyana because we were looking for a fish, a special fish called an Arapama gigas. He's a butcher. He's a butcher, he's a good mate and uh, he's a keen angler as well. I have to look after him a lot, I have to say, but it, anyway, he's a great company. So off we, uh, off we trundle. We haven't been on a real fishing adventure for a few years now, but we've planned this meticulously and actually it all went really well. Got down to Gatwick Airport. Stood at the back of the queue with all our stuff, big rod pods and things like that. And uh, a young lady came up to us and uh, she came up to us and said, oh guys, don't bother queuing, come round to the front of the queue and we'll book you in. You've got loads of stuff, you don't, need, you don't need to hold on to all that. So went to the front of the queue, got checked in, Ooh, poetry in motion. When we went through into the restaurant in Gatwick, the South Terminal this is, to feast on some disgusting sausage and bacon and things like that, stood at the back of this great big long queue, a young lady came up to us and said, don't bother queuing, guys. Come round uh, to the front of the queue and uh, I'll seat you. So we quite literally went round with all these people curiously looking at us. Did you not and, think and, this uh, was odd? I, well, I, I did think it was odd, but I, I, couldn't, I wasn't entirely sure uh, what was going on. But, you know, I was, I was happy for this situation. So we went in and we sat down and stuff like that. And when we were sat there waiting for our disgusting uh, bacon and eggs, James said, Do you know what? He said, I've just heard the person at the front of the queue. So I said, no, that's a guy. He was on The Weakest Link a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that weird? Celebrity so status. Kind, of, kind of weird. So that was the beginning of our the beginning of our adventure. Twenty four hours later, we got into um, Georgetown in in Guyana. We got to our B and B, went to sleep, got up in the morning, and flew into the interior. Went to this place called Anai, which is on the savannas, and so it's just like a little lodge really. Went in there. It was all really nice, but you know there were some geckos on the ceiling in the bathroom, some praying mantis perched on the sink, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we just chilled out there, make sure our digital cameras were charged up, make sure the iPod was charged up. So I've got some amazing little soundtracks of n- night time, lots of howler monkeys at night, and they, they sort of keep you awake, and cicadas and cane toads and all this kind of stuff. The, uh, the day after, uh, the guy who was going to take us up into the jungle with a few uh, Amerindian guides picked us up from the river, Rupanani River, and we shot off. We took off then. A, day, a good day's travelling uh, downriver, and then we went up into the Rewa. So we stopped at this lovely little village, a merry Indian village, and had a rattle there with a few people, and then we went up into the Rewa village for our first camp. It was a long day travelling. So you can imagine sitting on 15-foot aluminium boats. But the, it, was, it was amazing, you know. It was, it was absolutely surreal. It's just how I imagined it to be and from books that I've read as a child about the, about the Amazon and things. I mean, obviously, we weren't in the Amazon, but we were in South America. You know, the, the, the uh, environment's very, very similar. We have to drag the boats through the forest to some of these lakes to fish. They were Oxbow Lakes, so they were originally part of the river, and they've been cut off. But, you know, you, go, you hack your way through the forest, you drag the boat from the river, which is no mean feat, half a mile or so, through the forest to get to these, to get to these pools. And suddenly, there's this big opening in the jungle, and you've got these scarlet-breasted macaws, and they tend to be in pairs, because they kind of mate for life, very long-lived birds. And they're, they're flying across these spaces, screeching, and, and the sound is amazing. It echoes because the jungle in the daytime is so quiet, and at night it's sort of deafening. Go out in the boat, and Arapama are fish that gulp air. So they come to the surface, depends, you know, every sort of 10, 20 minutes, depending on the size of the fish. The larger ones tend to come to the surface less frequently. What do they look like? I've got them in my like, mind. Uh, they're obviously huge. They have a relatively sort of flat head and, an, and a sort of upturned mouth physiology is such that it makes it easy for them to gulp air when they come to the surface. Fat, broad bodies, but they are the biggest scaled fish, freshwater fish in the world. So they have the potential to get to, the, to those, those kind Colour? of sizes. Bronze, beautiful bronzy gold colour. 
When like you, a carp, then? Uh, similar to a carp, but they don't have individual fins. You know, carp have dorsal and pectoral fins and anal fins and things like that. Arapama tend to have fin on the top and, the, and almost a complete fin that goes around the, the whole at the back of their body. And interestingly, a funny little stubby tail at the end. It's, it's almost it's nondescript, really. The back of their bodies are crimson, beautiful red colour. Stunning fish. When you, when you play them, when, they're, when, they're, uh, when, they're, when they come to the surface, the scales flare, and you can often see the water being pressed out from the underneath the scales. Amazing to see it. It's really weird. And we caught some. I mean, we caught some fantastic fish. And the biggest fish we caught was four hundred pounds, estimated at four hundred pounds. That's it's, an yeah, awful lot of fish. Absolutely massive. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's bigger twice, than the fattest the listener me. we've got on Middle Age Shed. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's interesting. And it's the first time, as far as we're aware, that a fish that size has been caught on a, on a rod and line. They've caught them on hand lines before. When they were allowed to fish for Arapama commercially, they, they used hand lines to, to catch a fish that size. And, and, uh, but this is the very first time that anything anywhere near that size has been landed on a, on a rodden line. Tell us about the otters. Oh, gosh. One of the most surreal experiences, right? We were, we were fishing the one day, and we were watching Arapama, and you have to try and f- cast a bait really quite close to them. We're using big baits, you know, eight sort of half arowanas, another fish, same family as arapana, and they feed on these guys. So we were using half of these, and we had this uh, ingenious little rig. It's like a hair rig, so the hook was separate from the bait. So from the hook, I had a nice little trace, and that's what attached the, the bait to the hook, and it just meant when a fish picked the bait up, uh, it, they could be hooked in the corner of the mouth so that you can get the hook out easily. I, I just landed this fish, about £300, beautiful fish, and I'm completely beside myself because there's no way I'd anticipated catching anything that size, really. Whooping and hollering? Yeah, 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 just amazing. When we're taking loads of photographs at, at the edge of this lake, again, macaws flying over us, the whole thing was completely surreal. Anyway, there was this pair of giant otters, and the, uh, giant otters are really common there because the environment is pristine and not very little human influence tons and tons of fish, the otters are thriving. So anyway, these, these inquisitive giant otters came up to us. We'd just released this huge arapama, and the guy said, all oh, right, watch this. So they were splashing the water, splashing and screeching, and the otters responded to this. So they zoomed up to us, they charged us, because they kind of think, well, oh, these people, that competition, they assumed, I imagine, that, that we were another family of giant otters. So they charged us, baring their teeth and screaming at us. You know, they're really sort of aggressive and, and wonderfully animated and beautiful-looking creatures. Um, so that was amazing. Got loads of photographs. So I've quite literally got a photo of me with an, an individual from, from a species that are the largest uh, scale freshwater fish in the world with giant otters in the background in this uh, cut-off Oxbow Lake. Amazing stuff. Well, that was the end of Go Fishing with Richard. Poor old Farmer Phil sat there, bored out of his brains, <laughs> wondering when it's his go to tell us about the trials and tribulations of Lower Blakemere Farm. Wake up, chubby! <laughs> <laughs> well, it all pales into insignificance, really. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I actually got the life left in me to start. <laughs> Shall now, we have the good news? The good news is, well, I suppose there's two bits of good news. One is that I'm going to go and combine my sunflowers this afternoon, which is always an annual entertainment, it seems, for the neighbourhood and everybody else to see whether Farmer Phil can get the combine stuck in a muddy field or all sorts of that sort of thing. So that, that, we're quite looking forward to that. And then we've had the trials and tribulations of bovine cattle diseases and government and politics and all the rest of it. Mm. What a joy they are. Cut a long story short, we've mentioned before 
that when we have a, an old cow who's due to be culled because she's, she's no longer fit enough, we tend to give her a, a last summer in the field here by the house, by the pond. And because of foot and mouth restrictions, she didn't end up going to the avatar when she would have done, so she stayed there all summer with her elderly mate. Right. Annually, we have to test our whole herd for TB. We test our whole herd for TB, and yes, you guessed it, which one came back as a reactor. Uh. So only one cow, nothing else, tested the whole herd, 300 animals nearly, and one cow, the old cold cow by the pond, comes back as a reactor. So they what do you mean by a reactor? You mean positive? Well, that means it's a skin test for TB, as we've said before, the test is not totally infallible, but it suggests that that cow has got TB. Mm. And what happens then is that the whole herd is shut down so that we can't move cattle onto or off the premises. Right. Great when you're a month away from needing to move your store cattle off yeah. the premises. And that cow has to go to be killed, and then they do a post-mortem on her to see whether they can find visible TB or lesions in her. Whoa! The, the good store news... Store cattle? Store cattle are the calves that, when they're weaned from their mother, that they go on to uh, Will Morgan's and Chris Thomas's, in our case, to be fattened for beef. And so she went to be killed, and the good news was that she had no visible lesions. And that has two things. One, it means that she's unlikely to be terribly infectious, so that she won't have given TB to anything else, hopefully. And it also means that potentially she hasn't got TB at all. Right. They will now try and culture TB from samples taken from her. But in my experience, I would be very surprised if she'd actually got TB. So that's the good news. Right. But then, coupled with the joys of that, so then we have to negotiate licences with the ministry, with DEFRA, to move our store cattle... And in my case, my case vet has been on holiday for a week and has been ill so that I haven't been able to catch up and she's the only person who can give me permission to do this, that and the other. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so we've sorted that. Yeah. We've got permission to move most of our store cattle and that's fine. But then we've got the problem of blue tongue restrictions and the fact that because Wales and England are now separate entities, Wales is not a blue tongue protection zone and England is. And we have a farm in either country and they say that you can move cattle from a non-protection zone, i.e. Wales, to England, but you can't do it vice versa. Right. So that means that I end up with all the cattle in England where there isn't room for them and all the grass in Wales so in the spring I won't be able to take them back again. Right. And so you've got a welfare issue. I've got a welfare issue but we think it's going to change because blue tongue is a viral disease transmitted by midges so the midge feeds on an animal with blue tongue and then transmits it very similarly to, to something like malaria by then going and feeding on another animal. Right. So obviously the midges arrive at the Welsh border and they all halt and show their passports and clean bill of health before they're allowed to go into Wales. I don't think so. No. And it's all down to temperature and it could be down to global warming. That Blue Tongue has worked its way northwards in our case, up through Europe, so all of Europe has now got Blue Tongue. And I can hear the whole of the Wiggly listenership saying... I'm never eating beef again. <coughs> because you've even missed out one bovine disease where I took a message last night from Matt the vet who said, hey, hey, that <laughs> cow did have BVD. Yeah, well, that's another one. What's that one? Um, it, it's a, a viral disease, another virus that we vaccinate against in our herd. But in that 
particular animal's case, it probably got it from its mother in the womb, right. in the herd that she originated from, and so she was carrying the disease before we even started. So vaccinating her made no difference at all, and ultimately the disease ran its course and she succumbed to the disease. What I am pleased to tell you is that none of these diseases have any implications for eating of the meat or milk or dairy products. Do you believe him? I, I, I kind of do believe him, but purely because I, I remember as, uh, many years ago, having worked on fish farms, realising that the majority of any uh, pre-packaged trout you get in the supermarket will be riddled with all sorts of diseases and viruses like enteric redmouth, which aren't always obvious, but they equally don't get passed on to human beings. The difficulty is that there are political drivers going on which have no relation to disease control or anything else. So whales are holding out against being a blue tongue protection zone just because they can. There's no gain to them, and in fact there's actually a negative for them because their farmers would normally send sheep on tack to England, but on tack means they, they come here in the wintertime to graze roots and grass and things like that. They can't do that because if they send them to England they can't get them back again. And it's just ridiculous that the, the whole mainland should be a blue tongue zone which has its own rules to try and avoid the spread of blue tongue, but it's just political flexing of muscles, doing things because they can. Mm. I reckon that we'll hear more about this. And this morning I've been sent through a picture from Leaf where Farmer Phil actually presented to the President's meeting in front of Baroness... Byford. ...and Lord Rooker. There he was, Farmer Phil, in his suit. And they've sent me through a photo and doggone it, it looks just like a politician. His hand is out in the sort of Tony Blair pose and they've headed it, Farmer Phil turns politician. <laughs> so we'll hear more about this shortly. If my broadband had worked, I no doubt might have received the same You photo. would have got it, but it will be up on the blog uh, where, dear listener, you can see Farmer Phil in full politician style instead of in his sou'wester or his Farmer Phil check shirt. In the meantime, when I walked into the podcasting conference, within five minutes of arriving, I met up with a Wiggly podcast fan. So here he is. Let's have a little word from Jerry. Um, I've just met up with Jerry Franklin. Jerry, um, you are a Wiggly Wigglers listener. I am a Wiggly Wigglers listener, an occasional listener, but, a, but an enthusiastic one. Fantastic. How did you ever find us? I honestly can't remember where I first heard about or read about you but I know that you I had seen several referrals recommendations citations as being a, a both informative and enjoyable and successful and also a true example of if I may a grassroots podcast <laughs> yeah and how do you and find presumably it? other roots as well <laughs> how do you find it the flip answer is well I just turn on my computer and there it is <laughs> Honestly, it's for me who's never been to England, it's like spending a day in the English countryside. I just kind of hear the birds and I feel the sun and you have neighbors coming in and you're just talking about life in your village and you're talking about what to harvest. I don't it's very evocative for me of just kind of like almost like a, uh, a day off, a day in the country. And where do you live? Now I live in Alameda, California, which is near San Francisco. So is that in the town or the country? Well, if, if you live in San Francisco, you'd say it was the country. If you live in Alameda, you'd say it was the city. Uh, <laughs> it's an island, literally sits in San Francisco Bay. It's got wonderful tree-lined streets and a lot of Victorian homes. 
so it, it's got a very much of a small town feel but it's only about a 15 minute drive or a 20 minute ferry ride from downtown San Francisco so for this New York soul it has enough cosmopolitan goings on for me to not go crazy so is your accent a New York accent or a Californian accent ready for all those English listeners well I was born in Brooklyn so th- this is what I really sound like but I, I so that's the John McEnroe accent well, I, I guess I'm not sure. Is he, is he from Brooklyn? The Woody Allen accent, maybe? Ah, yeah. Okay, yeah. But I lived for many years in Chicago, and Chicago kind of bred the accent out of me. <laughs> and now I live for many years in California and a few years in Seattle, so I'm, I'm just a hybrid. I'm just a mutt. So you're a I'm, true American. Yes. <laughs> now, tell me about, have you got a podcast? What are you involved in? I'm involved in numerous things, which is why I may sound so scattered. My wife is a certified dog trainer, so we have the Good Dog Show which is a podcast on dog training. I spoke at this convention last year on using Audacity. So I have audacityguy.com, which has a few tips on uh, using Audacity, mostly for beginners. I'm also helping Doug Kay with the Conversations Network, which is a series of an ongoing series and quite a prolific series of conversations with uh, technology movers and shakers, which is a very highly produced series of, of podcasts. Is and that, that the be... IT conversation? Yes, that's correct. Um, among among other on. things, yes. Ah, yes. Yeah. So what are the other conversations? There are numerous series that he's, they're bringing under one umbrella. Uh, they do, for instance, they do podcasts of the IEEE Spectrum Radio Show. Oh, goodness. I'll uh, let you off the hook. Thank you. I appreciate that. I believe that. you can but it, it really, Where can it, our listeners find you? Well, let's see. Dogworks.libsyn.com is the good dog show dog training. Uh, audacityguy.com is for tips on using Audacity and the Conversations Network for a very high-end and highly produced podcast with technology's biggest movers and shakers and researchers and scientists and thinkers. You're a star. Thank you so much. I'm thank so you. pleased you've enjoyed I'm our not show. Not nearly the star you are, but thank, thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jerry. And we've got a saying in from each of you from Kevin, who always sends us the Southern sayings. So here's yours, Rich. He says, Richard, always offer to bait your date's hook, especially on the first date. (laughs) (laughs) And for Farmer Phil, he says, this is his dining guide. He says, a centerpiece for the table should never be anything prepared by a taxidermist. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got a few more comments in. We've got a next review on iTunes, and it's Verbena, and she says, A magic breath of country life, five stars. Just love dipping into the show. As a country girl trapped in the smoke, this calms me down and sets me up for the week. Thank you. I don't reckon it will have this week. And from Simon Sherlock, we've got thanks for 110. Uh, he means number 110, not for the 110 shows. I thought it was great, but it was slightly depressing to hear the sounds of summer on a pretty miserable and cold mid-November day. Makes you pine for the spring. Well, Simon, you're quite right. We stored all those shows up so that we could go off on our various trips, but we are so pleased to be back and live from Blakemere today on a gorgeous November morning. I'm off. Bye from me. Bye. Bye.
didn't get to fit half of it in. There was a little little um, piece of information <laughs> that, that came to light as a result of your trip off, Rich. I, I, yeah. I gather there was a bit of an issue with the communications back home. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's typical, isn't it? You see, that's typical. I, I emailed because I, I thought there was one, there's, probably, there's possibly one person in the office that, that has uh, just a modicum of discretion. How wrong, how wrong I was. Oh. So, so, the only way I could communicate so was to send her an email. Of course, I forgot what her email address was. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily that I forgot what her email address was. It's just that she's recently changed her email address because she started, she's now working Oh, I'm her own cutting account. in here. What happened was Joe um, sent the whole office an email. It was from Richard and it said, Joe, please keep this a complete secret and don't tell a soul in the office because they will take the mickey out of me even more than usual. The thing is, I've lost my wife's email address. I'm unable to phone her. So could you pass this message on? Dear Coochie Coo, Richard is up the jungle without a paddle. <laughs> he loves you very much and hopes that the wind is in your willows. <laughs> lots and lots of loves and kisses, Richard. And Joe immediately forwarded it. This is going to be real trouble when I get out of the house. Joseph, we knew you were going to be able to find We like that.